Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 71 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. The queen rearing is in full swing now and I need to create more finisher colonies. Stay tuned for more queen rearing chat and simple details of how to unite two colonies. and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me we've had more rain thunder and lightning this past week the night skies were lit up brightly overnight midweek and we had some very short sharp torrential rainfall being summer it's dried up very quickly and by the following morning the roads were dry you would hardly know it had rained The bees on the field beans have done their work and it's time to get them moved to take advantage of the summer flow from blackberries, limes and sweet chestnut. But as I was getting prepared for that, I ran into a bit of a problem. I've had to have another costly job fixed on the Ranger. My Ford Ranger pickup has been a real workhorse for me this past year, but I guess it's at an age now where parts and components start to wear out and need replacing. I noticed a bit of a strange metallic grinding sound when I was at the field beans last week and figured something was going wrong. Remember, I'm not very mechanically minded, but it was obvious something was not working as it should be. It only happened when I turned the steering wheel when I was in 4x4, so I ended up crawling under the front of the truck in my bee suit and discovered that the black rubber sleeve things near the front wheels on both sides had split all the way round, and you could see all of the workings inside, A bit like when you watch one of those hospital operation programmes and someone's joints have been cut open and you can see all of the tendons and sinews. Anyway, that's probably a bit too descriptive here, but it is an audio podcast after all. I always find these things tend to get worse if I don't sort them immediately. And this did seem to be quite serious. Ball joints and things exposed to the elements and me driving across muddy fields wasn't going to help. I booked a slot at my local garage. I say local, it's about five miles away from where I live. But I've always taken my vehicles to this particular garage. And like any of these types of jobs, you need to be able to trust the people who do the work. So my thanks to the Spixworth MOT Bay team who've taken care of my vehicles over the many years that I've had them. So back to the story. Apparently these black rubber sleeves are called CV joint gaiters and cover the joints that connect the wheel to the other more technical bits. Sprout, who looked after it for me, did one of those long but sharp intake of breath type things, and then tutted a few times. I'm not sure why they call him Sprout. He's a little older than me, so I would guess around 55 to 60, and I think he stopped growing, so that can't be it. Maybe he likes Brussels sprouts. I'll have to ask him next time. Anyway, after a quick consultation, The truck was booked in and the job completed on Tuesday of this week. Another dent to the bank balance, but it's not a job I could do myself. Changing the light bulb seems to be about as big a challenge as I could do at the best of times. Once sorted, various metallic grinding noises were gone and everything seems to be once again protected. Sprout said the noise was because the grease had been washed out of the joint, which seemed to make sense. Anyway, the reason for recounting the story is just to say when these things crop up, they're not likely to go away on their own, so it's always best to get it sorted as soon as possible, even though I could have done without the expense. And of course the same applies to beekeeping issues. If you have any problems with your hives, it's best to get them sorted immediately rather than allowing them to continue. 
Talking of expense, you might recall I was trying to get hold of a reptile incubator to incubate my sealed queen cells. Well, one popped up on eBay this week and I managed to negotiate a decent price. So that's arriving this week and I'm quite excited about that. It's one of the reasons I've been chasing around trying to get prepared with the finisher colonies. It's all been kicking off again this week, normal for this time of the year, and with so many things to manage it sometimes gets away from me. Anyway, we now have around 18 out of 20 queen cells that have taken from the first graft last weekend, and I grafted another 20 cell cups earlier in the week in readiness to move those into the incubator. This is a new technique for me. I've never grafted more queen cells than I could place into a queenless nuke before, but I wanted to start making stricter selections on the queens that head up my colonies, so I need to produce more queens. I find grafting quite therapeutic, actually, most of the time I'm charging around, doing all the usual beekeeping stuff, inspecting colonies, moving colonies, making up kit. But add to that recording the videos, writing and recording these podcasts, and answering lots of emails that I get from beekeepers around the world, which is really lovely, but it all takes up a lot of time. When you graft very young larvae, you have to take your time and concentrate, and that makes me really slow down and focus on the job in hand. There's no point rushing into it only to mess it up and not have many successful grafts. So on Tuesday evening, I found myself sat in my pickup at the Fishing Lakes Apiary at about half past six, trying to scoop out those fragile tiny larvae and place them into the Nico cell cups. And here's another slight twist to the way that you can use the equipment that's available to you. The Nico system is excellent at getting young larvae into a cell cup without having to handle them but you've got to set things up properly and manage your time. For me, that's been an issue this week, and so instead of placing the queen into the Nico cage, I chose to graft straight into the cell cups instead, which works really well and allows me to use the cell cup holders to then develop the queen cells in the starter hive. If I run out of time, I can use the hair roller cages to clip onto the Nico cell cup holders and secure the virgin queens inside when they emerge. The plan, of course, is to do this, but to transfer them to the incubator so I can continue with the grafting in the starter colony. Reading up on the starter colony, it appears I'll need to put more frames of brood into the brood box to maintain the population of younger nurse bees, and that makes perfect sense to me. Continuing to have younger bees will allow older bees to go out and forage for pollen and nectar, while the younger house bees tend to the queen cells, supplying them with as much royal jelly as they need. Fast forward 24 hours and I've been back to check on how the grafting went. As usual for me, there were several unsuccessful grafts. It's easy to tell which have been accepted because the workers not only start to provide royal jelly, but they put a very convenient marker on each cell cup in the form of a rim of wax as they begin drawing down the queen cell with the aim of capping it off several days later. I should really have spent some time regrafting but I still had to go back to the field beans site to continue moving kit away from there. There were 14 accepted queen cell grafts, so I wasn't too worried. The good news is I can get them into the finisher colony and start the whole grafting process again, and that's one of the nice things about this particular setup. The important thing is to keep the starter colony well provisioned, though, with lots more syrup and pollen or pollen substitute, but also more bees. It's easy enough to add all three, but important to make sure that any extra bees are free from disease. I don't want to be spreading anything nasty around the apiary. So the method of adding bees is quite straightforward, really. I open up several existing nukes and hives 
at the same time as having the starter colony open for inspection. Then I remove an empty frame from the starter colony and go to the first frame donor hive or nuke and look for a frame that has food and only sealed brood. I don't want to be moving eggs or very young larvae across or the starter colony will begin to make rogue queen cells. If I follow this process with maybe five or six frames, I can have a very large population of young worker bees in the starter colony quite quickly again. And this process can be repeated as often as I need to create queen cells. That said, it is getting quite late. So if you're thinking of starting queen rearing, you need to get a shift on. It's more about the drones than anything else, really. We need a good population of drones to ensure mating is successful. There's nothing worse than having the queens turn into drone layers in the middle of the autumn or winter period. So as the days have now tipped past the longest day of the 21st of June, we all need to get cracking. Something I did forget to mention is the makeup of the finisher colony. I united a colony early this week. Or was it at the weekend? I can't quite remember. Anyway, we united two colonies, one of which was queenless and the other was queen right. It's an easy process and I use the newspaper method when I'm uniting two full-size hives. The newspaper sits on top of the lower brood box and is held in place with a queen excluder. This also serves to keep the queen in the top box and prevent her from absconding or wandering down into the bottom box before any quarrelling is finished. It would be awful if she just happened to get caught out by angry workers from the bottom box before they had all made friends, so to speak. So the setup for uniting two colonies is basically a complete hive, but with two brood boxes. I get both colonies in position and give them a little smoke so they know I'm about. Then I break them both down and if I need to remove a queen, that's the first task. There's no point going any further if I can't find the queen. Once she's dealt with, the now queenless colony goes on the bottom. So we have a floor, a brood box, next comes the newspaper held down by the queen excluder, and the queen right box goes on top of that. Any supers get placed on top of the stack, and if they come from different colonies, I'll put a sheet of paper between them too, if they've got lots of bees in them. If not, I just shake the bees out in front of the hive. Add the roof, and that's it. Strong colonies will be through the newspaper in 24 hours, and you can go back and rearrange everything as you need to after that. Remember, if you're sorting this stack out for queen rearing, the queen needs to go into the bottom box. The best option here is to find an older queen for the finisher colony, as her pheromone will be less potent than a new queen, and this helps from placing queen cells into the top box. The workers, sensing their queen's pheromone is diminishing, are more likely to accept and develop supersedure cells, and these are the ones I'm placing in after the starter colony has done its work. I need to get back to the queen rearing apiary to check up on the finisher colony. I placed the started queen cells in it a few days ago now, and they should be capped by now and will need moving or there could be trouble. This is where keeping an accurate record of your queen rearing timetable is important. If you get it wrong and the queen cells get capped and emerge before you get a chance to look in on them, you might find that either all of the other queen cells have been destroyed, or worse still possibly, the first queen out takes off with a swarm followed by subsequent virgin queens until you're left with a teacup of bees. It hasn't happened yet, but with my schedule, I'm sure it'll happen one day, and that's why I keep records. I'll keep you posted on how the queen rearing goes over the next couple of weeks. It's really quite exciting, and once set up, it's an easy process to follow. Changing the subject a little, I spotted the first few wasps around the apiaries this week. 
it always feels like a sign of the changing seasons when they make their first appearance and a good reminder to make sure all of our colonies are well protected. This doesn't mean having to do anything necessarily, just being aware and assessing the strength of the colonies is enough. This is particularly crucial in the queen-rearing apiary, where nukes are now set up with smaller colonies. These have been given very small entrances, just one bee space wide. On most of my nukes, I now have disc entrances, and these can be rotated to provide a range of different entrance types. I tend to only use them in the open or closed options, but there's also a queen excluder section and a ventilation section, and that last one I do use when I move the bees, but the fully open section can be rotated across the opening in the nuke to either its fully open position or slightly to one side, where you can literally leave just enough space for one bee to pass through at any one time. If you do this, it prevents wasps from having free access to and from the nuke and will help prevent robbing. Having nukes fully loaded with bees is obviously another good way to prevent wasp damage. Bees can't protect themselves if they haven't got the numbers, regardless of how small an entrance you give them, so it's important to balance the nukes too. All of this is said in the knowledge that everything is healthy and there are no nasty diseases to spread around, of course. Better to lose one nuke to wasps than spread EFB throughout an apiary and beyond. I really need to get back to the queen-rearing apiary to balance my nukes. I do have a couple that are a little light on bees and I must make sure I maintain my good practices. It's a lovely beekeeping site surrounded by brambles and rosebay willow herb at this time of the year. Lots of forage for the bees and hopefully a surplus of honey for me to enjoy as we get into the final month of the summer foraging season for me. Looking forward to July, it's a bittersweet month really. I don't take my bees to any heather, I'd love to, but I don't have any contacts or know anyone that has a quiet corner for my bees on the moors. I will be checking on the likely honey crop as the next three or four weeks go by and keeping my fingers crossed we have everything in place to benefit from strong colonies foraging on the vast array of summer flowers that will be out there. Other jobs for this next week include tidying up all of the kit moved from the various pollination sites and checking on some of the weaker colonies with a view to uniting them to protect against those wasp attacks that will surely come. There's no point in losing a small colony when I can combine two into a stronger fighting force. But first, I really must get back to moving the bees from the field beans. Finally, it's going to be one of the hottest weekends of the year this weekend, with some parts of Europe hitting in excess of 40 degrees centigrade. That's over 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So stay safe, everybody, and remember to keep hydrated and stay out of that midday sun. Only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Oh, and beekeepers, of course. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. (laughs) 